0: Precision-scheduled railroading, or PSR, as we know it today, is rapidly reaching an inflection point. Escalating trade disruptions, rail strikes, blockades, weather events, and the COVID-19 pandemic have highlighted the urgency to make supply chains more resilient. The current version of PSR has produced measurable financial, operational, and service improvements for railroads. Yet, some internal growing pains continue, accompanied by shockwaves absorbed by shippers, Non PSR railroads, industry partners, advocates, and policymakers. This Rail Group On Air podcast, the second of three and based on a feature story published online and in the July print and digital editions of Railway Age, introduces PSR 2.0 as envisioned by my guests, Sonia Bott and John F. Orr. PSR 2.0 takes precision scheduled railroading to the next level within individual railroads and across railroad and transportation ecosystems. It demands an entrepreneurial culture focused on business rigor, forging productive partnerships, safeguarding origin to destination traffic flow, and increasing knowledge. Sonia D. Bott, Chief Executive of the Bott Consulting Group Incorporated, has worked at the forefront of technology, media, and telecommunications companies worldwide and was instrumental in PTC implementation on CN's United States lines. John F. Orr, a top-level operations executive for railroading and transportation ecosystems, is a fourth-generation railroader who rose through the ranks and became CN's chief transportation officer. With E. Hunter Harrison and his successors, Orr delivered PSR operations and continues the mission today throughout North America, Europe, and Asia. So welcome Sonia and John. Uh, you folks are considerably north of where I am in New Jersey, but it's, uh, it's pretty hot uh, where you are. We do have uh, part two of what I think is a pretty hot topic, and that's uh, Precision Scheduled Railroading PSR 2.0. We want to pick up where we left off, and uh, let's start with talking about what you call the digital business transformation. So what exactly is that?
1: The digital business transformation, it's a special kind of, uh, organizational change of an enterprise or a sector or of an entire supply chain. And it uses digital technologies and new business models to improve the performance. So it's all about, uh, driving innovation strategies and supports business strategies. The digital transformation is not the digital technologies themselves. They simply enable. So what you want to do is to uh, focus on transforming the business to be uh, relevant and to thrive in a highly competitive and evolving market. People often confuse a digital business transformation with digital transformation or digitization. So we gotta make sure that we're really clear on uh, these points. So digital transformation and digitization, people uh, interchange those terms business digital transformation, it focuses on go-to-market models, while digital transformation focuses on technology to support those models.
0: So one is the technology, and the other one is really the application of that technology to to reshape how business is conducted.
2: Let's just take a step back. So PSR... 2.0 2.0 is really about a uh, reliable, scalable, high gain approach to delivering financial results, creating uh, better safety mechanisms, better better railway profitability, and at the same time being more inclusive of ecosystems and, and connecting uh, markets, connecting players, and uh, creating the opportunity for people come on into the rail streams or to the railways to expand beyond their natural boundaries, to build stronger, more reliable business cases. Uh, This is, this is something that we see in digital business transformation in a higher tech world. And that's, you know, know, with Sonia's tremendous background in tech, uh, you know, she's well versed in this as a a railroader of, of uh, a lot of years and a lot of places across North America as Sony described, a lot of uh, technology being included into the rail industry within the structure uh, of the rail business bolted on so that there's better understanding in in the application of technology to infrastructure, engineering, construction, motor power, uh, even a lot of uh, the the big providers in the rail industry. But but linking these things and creating a platform uh, that that creates transparency and creates viability and provides the opportunities to build more access to the markets, providing customers a better platform, uh, creating standards and visibility. Those are all part of what we're talking about, bringing, bringing the railway into digital the digital business formation so that, that we're, we're set to continue to have viability.
0: So to me, it seems as though it's uh, making the railroads more user-friendly.
1: One of the things we have to remember is one, of course, user friendliness for the customer and making it easy for the customer to work and to um, engage and improve that customer experience. That's really important with the digital business transformation. It's all about uh, go to market models, business models, new services that one can offer as well, create that great experience. So if we look at in the past, the World Wide Web, it was pop- became popular in the 1990s. And that created a new business model where um, internet content was provided for free to consumers and the advertisers would pay. And it was enabled by a computing and networking technology. Online retail was really a big progression from those days of catalog shopping. So today now we've got Amazon and other retailers where the business model changed. It's enabled by digital technologies. And it's a much better customer experience. So the whole piece around, uh, you know, are railroads uh, more difficult to work with or are we making a better customer experience? Uh, Let's hear from John now from his experience and his vision.
2: As we said in our first podcast, it depends on where you sit and the timing of where you sit and uh and that's that's a real consideration in psr2.0 and why we why we want to spend the time to bring, bring people to solutions why we want to decrease the bureaucracy by doing front front value propositions to our customers and to our stakeholders uh, and to, to communicate and and you know as we get through the dialogue here today you'll hear culture and the cultural reference is uh talking about the you know where where the in rail industry or the rail companies or the ecosystem partners fit within you know their leadership models and or or safety or other other really value driven principles and you know like like anything as sony said with the process of technology advancement you know companies either have a culture that can embrace change and pivot and uh, respond and create value uh, or they're, and they're able to understand and work through the value proposition or they face you know really difficult times and in in the world of digital business transformation this is one part of the timing of PSR 2.0 and why it's so valuable to people because business digital transformation is fairly mature in fact it's ready to pivot to the next great thing that we'll talk about. Uh, but, uh, but fundamentally, uh, the time-to-market approach supports a lot of the PSR 2.0 implementations in, in a way that is at least communicated effectively. And people see where they are on a continuum of, of progression and the continuum of uh, stability. And, and not every change is easy. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it can get rocky, and the, the feedback uh, can be uh, unflattering at times but the whole principle of bringing people into the dialogue bringing people into where they fit from a value proposition and where systems are going is really key and this is where psr 2.0 differentiates from a lot of the business fundamentals that are out there today and uh, the timing as we said is really key and and uh, opportunity is very very clear in this time
0: I wanted to, uh, talk, uh, have you folks talk a little bit about, uh, uh, something called the DuPont Bradley curve, which you, uh, uh, which, which is in the article, I, I, I did a little googling, and and it's it, it's not a curveball uh, thrown by any anybody from the Toronto Blue Jays or the former Montreal Expos or something. You know, it's a, there was no pitcher named Dupont Bradley. But so, what, what is a Dupont Bradley curve, and but and specifically, how would it apply to a railroad environment?
1: Before we jump into Bradley curve, uh, just a little bit of context. We identified cultural and capability uh, considerations as part of the toolkit for navigating through the PSR 2.0 journey. So culture capability. So what we're calling the Bradley curve, it's on the cultural side and especially for safety. So this Bradley curve uh, was created by DuPont and DuPont, they tried to benchmark notions of culture and performance in relationship to safety. So I'm going to ask you to use your imagination now. So it's not like the picture throwing that curve ball, right? But the curve, like all curves, right? It's a geometric attempt to plot an organization's journey to safety. So the curve itself, it will assume that there are high injury rates due to people not taking uh, responsibility. What we did ourselves on top of that, we, Superimpose what we call the growth curve, so the business growth curve. So as the culture uh, becomes safer the growth of the company, top line and bottom line,
2: increases. The the Bradley Curve, I'm sure my colleagues at CN will will, uh, get a kick out of the fact that they never went to a meeting with me without having some reference to the Bradley Curve. Uh, first of all, because safety is such uh, such an important item that it's it 's something that we discussed all the time and and as as should most people in the transportation industry but the, what the Bradley curve as, as Sonia said it, it gives you kind of a, a guide uh, to the health of and maturity of your organization as far as how you interact with with well, how the interaction of the organization is with it within itself and the values it brings. And it really takes, uh, takes a trip from uh, having a, an entity that survives on instinct and uh, real primal uh, safety uh, intuitiveness and progresses through a series of a succession of improvements that, that go from a reactive state, basically fight or flight kind of uh, scenarios, Right through to inter- interdependence, where people understand and want to to do the best and want to look out for each other, help help each other, and care about the organization and the organizational pride. And through that through that uh, progression, uh, you spend less and less time in a prescriptive environment and more in a collaborative and more of a growth environment as far as safety is concerned. As, as Sonia said, uh, we overlay it as far as the business development is concerned. And it shows at the same time as you're improving safety and spending time uh, maturing uh, the performance stability of safety, you're creating opportunity for people, whether they're frontline employees running a, a tamping machine or a spiker, or evaluating bridge structure or driving a train, uh, they they can spend more time focused on how they are contributing rather than Policing themselves or monitoring themselves. Uh, same goes with with uh, supervisors. That that in itself frees up time and space to take on more responsibilities. And you know, when we talk about the measurement tools, and CMMI is one of the measurement tools that we'll talk about shortly. This is this is a, a gauge on where the maturity of an organization is, where their time is spent, and how how they influence safety and how they they work together. So it's a transformation of values and systems and beliefs. And this allows more time and space for people to work safely and work more uh, focused in in a more focused environment. So, you know, there, there's a, a kicker box at the bottom that says really I follow the rules because I want to. And, or I follow the rules because I have to. And it's that progression through, through that people understand the importance of safety and it's a, you know, it's a, A very, very viable tool that we use.
0: That's really what you're describing here is uh, uh, what you talk about in the article, the four stages of the safety culture moving from reactive to dependent to independent to interdependent, which would be the ideal definition of a, a real safety culture.
2: Exactly.
1: As you move through each of the stages, it gives you an evaluation point of where you are in the culture.
0: Uh, now, before we get into uh, uh, a term, uh, and, and here's, a, here's another acronym to add, uh, CMMI, uh, I'd like to ask you folks about uh, transformation leadership and how, how you define it.
1: Transformational leadership, so I'll, I'll start, because people can give you many definitions of um, leadership and leadership styles. So, transformational leadership is a leadership style in which leaders encourage inspire everyone in the company to create change that's going to help and grow and shape the future success of the company when we look at in the context of psr 2.0 these would be leaders who can combine deep practical field experience with theory because you need all that as part of the package leadership that has successful psr 1.0 implementation track record understands the technology has the business savvy and has experience in complex transformations you've mm-hmm. got to be very adept in navigating bridging various colliding worlds because again you're doing a transformation here right and such right. a so the colliding worlds that you've got could be real life in the field and the office IT OT projects that are going on. They tend to be colliding roads because they operate from different premises but all for the same goal. A transformational leader um, throughout their mandate would promote and instill an entrepreneurial mindset and, cap- and those capabilities into the organization. And you need a lot of discipline uh, to be able to do that. Because again, you need to build reputational equity or reputation as you go through. You have to have the buy-in as you go through the transformation. Uh, you've got to make sure that the buying from an organization all the way through to the ecosystem. So transformational leadership co- covers a wide range uh, of skills and it's a very specialized type of leadership.
2: Just building on the things that you've said, you know, it, it, there's nothing more complex than a railway system uh, and the diversity of a, a railway ecosystem itself across North America can change Broadly, when we add in our ecosystem view of the uh, stakeholders and we grow the level of complexity, can you imagine what the skill set has evolved to and what will be required? Transformational leadership is also on top of Sony's comments, is uh, a leader who is willing to let go of the skills that got them to the success point they're at in order to adopt the new skills and the new requirements and support people. And support their team, support customers. Uh, take uh, take a, a view that might have been a very contrary view in the past, and bring it into a modern light and to to communicate the goals in the business, and against a larger uh, value system, and really leverage the ecosystem. And again, back to the business. This it, is this is meant to create stability, and safety and reliability. It's meant to support customer develop, development create new reach and new markets, and uh, grow and continue to grow the, the future viability of the organization. Those things, those skills don't reside entirely within an organization at any given time, nor are they uh, often organically developed to, at the pace they need to. So a transformational leadership understands, is, is understanding the limitations of the, the group, being able to bring in the right sets of skills, develop the right sets of skills in order to continue to develop people in against the demands that are continuously accelerating. So, there, this is uh, this is interesting times, Bill, because the the leadership skills that uh, were highly successful in, in one one era, uh, and as the marketplace, as the industry pivots to address new concerns you can use the concerns that are that are out there today this a transformational leader has to be able to have the uh, capabilities and the confidence of the organization and in themselves to be able to pivot like that and and the evolving mandate has to be continuously addressed so practical experience absolutely uh practical understanding of the of the market and the uh, organization absolutely uh, and entrepreneurial. This is something that, uh, that Sony and I have always talked about. The entrepreneurial spirit and the entrepreneurial drive is really what uh, what is the imminence.
0: Which brings us to the uh, the acronym I uh, described before, uh, CMMI, which stands for Capability Maturity Model Integration.
1: When we talk about um, the Bradley curve, we talked about how we can measure and navigate through the culture of an organization. The next piece here is how do we navigate through the capability, maturity of an organization. And so before we embark on change efforts, we have to understand where the organization is at in terms of its capabilities. For a particular context, you know, is it a baby, a toddler, a child, a teenager, or an adult? And it's relative to what we are evaluating, because as you go, as an organization progresses through its stages of maturity, its capabilities grow and mature. Now there are several models out there where you can evaluate maturity of capabilities. Uh, we chose the CMMI model because of its relevance and fit, and it's also one of the more classic ones. We're simply using it. Evaluation purposes. We benchmark the key capabilities of an organization. CMMI, it's been uh, used across a wide range of uh, business capabilities, such as information technology, operational technology, development of products, uh, service excellence, workforce management, data management. In rail, it's nearly new. We, we just uh, apply it because it of where rail is at right now uh, and in its development. Now you did mention Bill, there are five levels of capability, level zero. That's the lowest level and the highest level is five. Let's say in the context of a new technology introduction, or if there's uh, a new business model to be introduced, the capability level will reset. So if a company was operating in a certain context or at a level three, and you get some new introduction coming in, it might have to go back down to a level one and build itself back up, okay? Mm-hmm. So we always we always watch where things are at. The levels can reset depending on when you introduce something new.
2: Sony introduced me to this as well, and uh, I think it's a wonderful uh, mechanism to build uh, as a tool that builds uh, a range of improvement and to to set that... Set a set a goal in order to be able to take on more responsibilities and uh, and to adjust your business models. So you know that this is a range, and as Sony said, depending on where introduction of new technologies, new capabilities, or new uh, introductions of various risks or various changes, that this is why it's important to at least baseline where you are. And CMMI is one of those tools that we had talked about as being an appropriate tool. Now, you know, some people out there who are more familiar in the ITOT world uh, would say, well, this is more relevant to high-tech performance, but it's but it's applicable to you know, heavy industry as well, like the rail industry. Mm-hmm. And if you if you think about the value of assessment, being able to understand where you are as far as your capa- the organizational organization's capability of taking on new change and addressing things. And if we step back and listen to some of the feedback as a result of PSR implementations where supply chains have been disrupted or that uh, changes are made to in order to balance the uh, fluidity of, of a rail network at the cost of disrupting. You know, changing how a factory or industry produces in a paper mill, for example, a seven day a week, 365 environment in the railway, you know, has to match up with, a, with that same output in other industry, like a mill that might be producing five days a week that creates backlogs and bow waves changing that is a positive thing. Aligning the supply chain is a positive thing. The change disruption and the capability of both entities to be able to absorb that change can differ depending on where they are as far as their own development and their own response to change, their own their own stresses. When we ask ourselves why is the rhetoric that, why is there dialogue that there's a, an association with PSR and safety uh, and there may be a, a temporary change in safety statistics as a result of an implementation of a change, uh, that can go back to where the readiness of an organization was before they made those changes. So when we step back, this is, this is why it's important in PSR 2.0 for an evaluative tool and an evaluation period so that is not meant for evaluation for evaluation's sake. It's meant to say, okay, where do we have to invest our time? And if we're going to make changes, how do we best insulate our, ourselves and prepare ourselves for the change? And uh, and this is the value of a tool that's that's tried and true like MMI. It will allow the, the preparation to be most appropriate for the level of change that's going to be made.
1: Imagine a number of different companies all working together. So either the... Eco, all the ecosystem partners within their own entity or company would be operating at a particular uh, capability maturity level. And some may be operating at the uh, level one, which would be initial level, but there are a lot of heroics to deliver. And some other uh, companies may be operating at a level uh, three, where everything is well characterized. you're the um, performance is consistent across the organization in terms of how they do their work. So in order to get that whole ecosystem working really well, we need to also understand how the different components, where they are, so that uh, we can create those interactions, how they interact and how they interchange, and how they develop and how they build their muscle so they can all work in harmony together. Similarly, you you may bring in a set of uh, highly specialized experts because you need to grow that area. And those highly specialized experts may come from another industry where they've built that specialty to a very high level of capability. But when they come into an an organization or a company where they're just starting to build that, we really need to test and have uh, that type of transformational leader in place. A lot of people get lost Some can transfer over at the same level, but some have difficulty changing levels. So we watch that when we build the leadership teams and when we build the teams of specialized areas that uh, need to be brought in. There are lots of applications here, but again, it it helps us be very systematic and uh, very focused, and we can measure our, our successes and our progress as we go along.
0: So this leads to uh, what you call entrepreneurial time to market. How is that applied in the rail industry?
1: The entrepreneurial time to market, it's an end to end framework and approach for delivering capabilities and sustainably operating and improving. So as uh, you embark on, let's say, your journey for PSR 2.0, You allocate your capital and effort in stages as you would uh, if you were an entrepreneur. You don't do what we call big bang, where you allocate a huge uh, amount of capital and effort and let people run with it for however long, and then hopefully it works at the end. You do it in small increments, and they're controlled so that you can then pivot as you go along, because you learn more and more as you go so you wisely spend. And so that's uh, an operating model for entrepreneurs. It's adaptive and systematic, and we keep the governance in place through each of the stages that you go through. You make decisions frequently, and sometimes you have to have uh, the courage to say, went down the wrong path, Uh, let's go and either start again, or let's resort to plan B. But you uh, manage it step by step. As you go through step by step, there's one cardinal rule. You have to add value. Every step of the way, you have to deliver value. So you increment the value in pieces. So you're getting the benefit earlier. So you start small in an isolated region and you incrementally grow and replicate systematically as you um, adopt and you scale. So when you start small, you, you test it out, you get it right. You see what the formula is, does it apply to the scaling? Yes or no, do we tweak it? And, and you keep going, do we need a new model? But you always add value every step of the way. So it's very facts and data driven that we're um, not guessing our ways. We are uh, very mindfully and scientifically going through it. As some folks will say, it'll get worse before it gets better. Well, that's if you use other methods but with this method you don't get worse before you get better your eye is always on there checking for that and working it through you always add value small
2: is relative small in a big organization can be relatively large in other organizations Uh, and it 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 gets down to how you design uh, and how you include and how you correlate the root cause of the issue uh, against your business model and what you want to achieve. And as Sonia said, you go through the analytics of fact and data in order to drive performance. Uh, It is a a hump closure. Now that seems to be one of the prime targets of improvement. Hump yards in the right marketplace, in the right uh, scenario, are really valuable tools that a railway can use to automate switching and shunting and sorting and uh, excel- use used to accelerate uh, traffic through a major urban center or major sorting center. When they're not optimized, when they're not uh, they're more there for historic purposes rather than operational precedents. Then there's a a reason why they're they're reviewed. Time to market would, would in, in contrast to just an automatic shutdown, take the time to bring the stakeholders in, er, evaluating the resident capacity in or around the hump areas and the uh, service zones, so that uh, the workload is parsed off, it, it's accounted for, there's still growth capabilities, uh, your your capital may have to be spent in those areas to support a new way of switching or new skills that have to be developed in the, the remote flat switching areas that are going to be pushed back onto, those sorts of things uh, in order to calculate the capability of the organization and keep the agility of the organization uh, and the service to the customers and the design of the customer service uh, consistent with what you need. That, to me, is, starts to get into time to market. So it, instead of closing down a hump, letting the chips fall where they fall, sorting out the, the cards after they're kind of on the, on the table, doing that in a much orderly fashion and uh, making best use of your people and the decisions they make, as well as the infrastructure you have. That, that, that again, back to you, if you think about the entrepreneurial mindset that uh, we talked about that starts to support people being a part of the solution and uh, and it rewards that culture. We talk about uh, exercising business rigour and relevancy. So you're having that review of the hump itself, whether it closes or it doesn't close, whether you have reached the, uh, the ability to sustain that service level or not through that initiative is exercised out with rigour and inclusivity so that you're fitting services to the market and the business objectives are aligned to those things. We may have to forge new productive partnerships. There, there are certain things that you just can't solve yourself uh, and uh, making sure that those, those aspects are done. So, a good example is that you have a low density um, transload facility that are expensive to service creating new uh, service zones for customers to, that, that are not as intrusive as shutting it down and letting them you know, sort their own business out. There's a, there's a lot of things that, that go to safeguard the end-to-end flow and that uh, create that constant set of learning. So it's, it, people are starting to create their own solutions. And uh, creating new uses for their shunting tracks, or their service tracks, or their locomotive uh, facilities, and making the most out of time that may be down. When when I think of um, initiatives like Smart Yard, that was developed as a result of understanding where time was spent in yards and where time, you know, where other activities could happen at the same time. You had downtime for one department versus another, and creating visibility into the uh, the workload of the various departments that go to support the movement of the train, that, that is an inclusive kind of time to market initiative that resulted in a technology that replaced an administrative solution where people had to follow a set of right. unsupported mechanisms. To me, that's, where, that's, that's the difference when you get into these things.
0: So what you're talking about is a more measured approach. Let's look at each operation, each yard and take our time.
2: It's not just about assets. Assets are a big thing. And uh, it's a fixed fixed asset business, and I, I absolutely think that the assets should be evaluated for their relevance frequently. Big bang is more about the the onset of change without inclusivity and without uh, even within your own organization. It is a heck of a lot more powerful to have people have um, ideas that are incubated by, because of their deeper understanding of their business and because they see a better way of doing it and have a mechanism to bring it up in a learning environment and a learning culture of, a, of an organization fosters that. that. That creates that spirit of entrepreneurship that, that is both bottom-fed and top-fed and that to me is a better much better solution than having to rely on somebody who's got a lot of wisdom a lot of experience finding opportunities and saying this is where we're going to go uh you know there there has to be some of that care and control but but best when you have the entirety of an organization and even better when you have a broader ecosystem saying hey look this is where i this is what i see this is how i'm empowered to to bring these these opportunities to light and whether we work through them to an end that is what i thought originally or it goes on a different route and we have now you know the next best solution that that to me is is a much more powerful solution so when the team comes together when the groups come together when the ecosystem works in 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 harmony then then that's less of relying on a single view and a single viewpoint of doing things like that
1: The entrepreneurial time-to-market approach takes a lot less time and effort than Big Bang does. You self-correct as you go along because you're always looking at adding the value quickly. So you get through it much faster and with less effort than you would do with Big Bang. And there are a lot of data studies in terms of my track record, depending on what the capability maturity level is. You know how we talked about CMMI earlier on? the entrepreneurial time to market approach, anywhere between 20 to 80% improvement in terms of how fast you do it, in terms of the effort, it's just a systematic approach that uh, you are lean as you go through it.
0: Now, you you mentioned a couple of numbers here, 20%, 80%, 80%, and um, we talk about something called the processed waste reduction.
1: If you look at how a company operates from the lens of a process, what I find in different processes, uh, if they're not well architected, if they're not well designed, there's a lot of what we call process waste, a lot of rework. Rework can uh, occur because something goes ahead and the group, whoever gets it, gets something incomplete, they send it back. If it takes you 100 uh, units of time or effort to do a particular task. Once you've cleaned it up and optimized it, you can do it in 20. You're a four, then uh, you can easily get 20 to 30 percent improvements. But the higher you go, you might want to eat out that extra five percent.
2: And if we could replace easily with readily, I think that's what we're talking about here. That uh, the the gains stick because because the waste reduction is real and the effect of a team coming together in an entrepreneurial way that is uh, looking for not only waste reduction, but then how do you make the what's left relevant and how do you start connecting with uh, new growth and connecting to opportunities and expanding your market and, and creating a more a viable use of your asset for your existing customer or a new customer or those sorts of growth thoughts. That's a big key, so you not only lose waste, but you uh, retain skill, you uh, don't lose opportunities because it's in a stepped process through time to market view. You start, as as Sonia said many times, you start to gain and realize the benefit of your gains a lot sooner in the process. You start getting interest on your investment very, very quickly.
1: You've got more room and space to even create newer business models. A lot of folks tend to be uh, stuck in the hamster wheel, trying to get the thing to work, that they never have time to let's think of the next uh, greatest biggest thing that can you know protect the future viability of the industry, the company, the organization.
0: So John, I wanted to ask you, as a a railroader who spent 34 years at CN, uh, starting from and you started as what? As
2: a brakeman.
0: So he started as a brakeman, worked your way up. Large-scale change can be difficult for a railroad. So from your experience as a 34-year veteran, worked his way up from brakeman. Why is that?
2: I think you have to take a step back and, and realize how much change has happened. In 34 years, the change is tremendous, both in terms of the market. If you look at where I started my railway career in eastern Canada, where lumber, and manufacturing goods and uh, ore and other mined goods were really the dominant uh, landscape for the marketing group that's changed but the you know a lot of those businesses are just a fraction of what they were in the past but the the railway has has maintained uh, relevance and and grew the business in other ways uh now there's a wonderful ports in in the eastern part of canada that service the Atlantic Ocean and and have a broader reach than just the Atlantic. Same thing on the on the West Coast. There have been a lot of changes, and there've been uh, incremental changes, uh, and they've been matched to to various you know value propositions enough to keep the rail industry viable. What we're talking about now is a little different. We're talking about transformational change. We're talking about the the change that is required to really shift the whole mindset of how the rail thinks and what the business model should look like. And our business model that we're proposing is is PSR 2.0. It really leverages the times that we're in right now and realizes that railways can't go it alone. They have to communicate and engage with uh, uh, more stakeholders than they ever thought they needed to and or did it in, in a way that wasn't connected to the balance of them. And so... railroads are big they're complex they're not linear they're spread across massive geographies with a lot of challenges that that go with that Uh, they need to continue to build their resources and build their skill sets to to meet the needs of today and to you know prepare for the future it i don't think it's uh, the railways have stood still i just think that coming to this change point that we're at In this era, in this time, with all the the, uh, coming together of the um, marketing, of the economy, of the need for uh, the backbone of the economy to be as viable as it can, this is where we're at from a transformational point of view. And this is where I think the railways uh, as as a whole can benefit from uh, an inclusive uh, transformational model like PSR 2.0.
0: Sonia, yeah, I was going to just say, uh, from your perspective, you've worked in media telecommunications. Uh, you, uh, you were with uh, uh, with CN, and you were a, a large. Uh, you played a large part in the PTC implementation. Let's get your your perspective.
1: No matter what industry I'm working, and the transformations and changes uh, that I work through and turnarounds are quite uh, high profile and quite complex. So and the railroad, just as John said, mm-hmm. is complex. Uh, so are similar changes in other industries that I've that I've worked uh, in and that are going on today. And so everybody that I've come across will say change is difficult. So railroads are no different than many of these other industries that we've gone through, right? But everybody since you're there, I'm the railroad uh, change is difficult. Of course, we will um, empathize with that because change is not something you do all the time every day. What I also find is some love it and thrive in it, and others just hate it and they struggle through, right? So we need to help folks in the journey. Again, uh, if you're focused, uh, your eyes on the person, you go through it systematically, it's not necessarily a difficult journey. It's a rather fascinating one.
0: I'd like to add as a, really as a closing thought that in these times, many businesses, including the rail industry, have had to rethink how they do business, how they serve customers. You have to change if you're going to survive.
2: And Bill, if you think about it, the, the 40% of the rail space, the rail, the rail uh, route miles in North America has a, has a great opportunity to engage in, in optimization. There's, uh, that's the gap of of PSR 1.0 versus uh, versus nothing at this time PSR 2.0 gives gives the ability for railways already in improvement to find uh, a broader way of approaching the, the the industry and customers and regulators and at the same time gives uh, an on-ramp for those not yet in the the uh, improvement arena like PSR 1.0 and PSR 2.0 to get involved in. It's something that's scalable and that's manageable within the context of that.
1: The rail industry is in a really exciting position right now in terms of how we navigate through change. The, The rail industry is extremely well positioned with a lot of potential for the future moving forward. It is a very, very exciting time.
0: Well, on that note, I'd like to thank you both for participating In the August issue, uh, we'll have the conclusion of uh, uh, the series on PSR 2.0 or 2.0. We will conclude with another podcast. So thank you both for, for participating and have a safe day.
2: Thanks, Bill. You have a safe day as well.
1: Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure.